Hey gang, it's Harold. I'm podcasting to you from the bunker. In the interest of distracting myself and my gaming friends, I'm reaching out to some interesting people to ask them what they're doing, game-wise. With such a big-time dividend, I want to hear what they're playing, designing, or thinking about. No CNN, no CNBC, just games. My production obsession will have to be put on hold, as I'm most interested in communicating with you rapidly with some interesting content. This podcast documents a discussion I had with bright young designer David Thompson. Hello. David, Harold, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm going to give you a few ground rules that I will strictly enforce. Okay. I don't know what that means, but... (laughs) uh, uh, I get get kicked off the podcast. (laughs) That's right. I'll just edit it out. That's that's my biggest hammer. So I'll... uh, uh, First, no medical discussions, uh, no political discussions, and then no no discussions of financial markets, please. Okay. Uh, All right. And, uh, you know, I'm just kind of curious about what you're planning game-wise... And if you have some free time, I'm not sure. I know you work hard all the time, but um, what are you working on? What are you What are you looking forward to playing? That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. What do you What do you want to talk about first? Any of those? I'll let, I'll let you pick. Specific? You set the priorities. Okay. Uh, let's start with what I've played recently. How's that sound? That sounds great. Okay. So. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to go down to Tennessee Game Days, which is a convention in Nashville. Um, it's probably my favorite convention, but some of that has to do with two things. One is just it's just gaming. That's all it is, right? But it's also where I get to see my old buddies um, who I originally started gaming with when I first started board gaming um, in Huntsville, Alabama. That was a convention we went to together. So when I go there, it means I get to see those guys again. That's perfect. Yeah. So it's awesome. Um, so it's just, it's just like three days of pure gaming with my buddies. So a couple of highlights, um, Robinson Crusoe, have you, have you played it? Well, uh, you know, one of the many games in shrink in my closet. Ah, okay. So you've got to take it out of the shrink. Um, <laughs> that's a prerequisite to play the game. But um, no, it was awesome. I love it. It's super hard, but and super thematic uh, competitive uh, co-op game. So that was a great one that uh, I had played with them many many years ago. So it was good to get it back to the table. Um, so that was a highlight of the convention for me. And then just a ton of a ton of other stuff. They're not war gamers. They're Euro gamers primarily. Um, but one of the guys brought his son, who's like twelve. So we played a mixture of Euros. Um, and then like some party games and stuff. So that was just a really good, a really good time. So I spoke to John Butterfield earlier today. I think I mentioned to you Mm -hmm. and you know, I hang on every word. I just think he's amazing Yeah. with the hope that a little bit of his brilliance rubs off as we talk. Yeah, I know. But, but he, he talked about he and his sister wanted to play, uh, Robinson Crusoe. Uh huh. And uh, because they couldn't get together, they did. They they ended up not playing it. But what's the magic in that game? What do you love about it? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, that's why I get the big bucks, by the way. <laughs> you know, one of the common criticisms of co-op games, especially 
when co-op games were really starting to become popular, like Pandemic came out and everything was a co-op, uh, the whole alpha player syndrome problem, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard people. So first of all, I don't really agree with that's a problem, right? But that's, that's neither here nor there. It's a perceived problem by players, so it's a problem. Um, it, w- one of the way, interesting ways it deals with it is just there's just so many options, and it's impossible to know what the optimal option is. So you can't really alpha game the game, so that's kind of cool. Uh, it's super, super brutally hard, which I think is a, is a you know, hallmark of a good co-op. Uh, extremely thematic, right? Just so many, like all the mechanisms are very thematic. Um, and then it has two really, really, really cool mechanisms, things that have stuck with me, uh, when I played it, even before I started designing games, things that I saw like, oh, this would be a really cool thing to riff off of. And actually one of those, uh, I blatantly stole in one of the games that I recently designed. So I I still got one other mechanism that I have to completely rip off and, and re-implement in something, but I think it's just a total package. Give me some specifics. Which mechanism was it? Yeah, so there's there's two mechanisms that I think are brilliant. One is, and this is the one I stole, uh, on your turn, you have two pawns that, rec- that essentially are action points, as you can think of, right? So you got two actions to take. And the, the tension point is you can take two different actions, but and this is just generally speaking. This isn't true across every action of the game, but generally speaking, you can do two different actions, but there will be... Uh, uncertainty in the outcome, right? And and to include potential failure in the action. Or you can spend two actions, two both action points to take a single action and you're assured success. And so I just thought that was brilliant, right? Like give the player the option about whether they want to introduce variance into the the game. Now, I I suspect, I haven't played it a ton, right? But I suspect there's, it's impossible to win the game if you always double up on actions, right? Like that you just, you can't win probably. Um, so you're going to have to take some chance at some point, but I just thought that was really cool. So where is it? Is it in? It is in a game. I just, uh, it was just on Kickstarter called by stealth and sea. So it's yeah. Italian human torpedo operators. And so that, yeah, there's in that game there, you can play it solitaire or co-op and, and it's little, almost exactly the same thing. You have action points and, you you know you can split them up and your actions would have a chance of failure or you can you can spend all of your actions on a single thing and the reason I thought about using it in that game is um, for this game specifically as a solitaire experience I wanted players to have as much control over the variance in the game as possible right I didn't want people to say oh it's a dice fest and everything's luck based. So I wanted to give them the option to say, well, this this action is super important. I don't want a chance to fail. So I'm going to, you know, dedicate all my actions on it. Interesting. Yeah, and, 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 well, and, and there's another, and this one, um, it, this one's a little bit more difficult to describe, but just generally speaking, there's this, a few different decks in the game, and there's a way in the game in which you draw cards from like it, these adventure decks, right? Like you go out and you encounter a snake and it bites you. And then you shuffle that card into a, a different deck that you will eventually redraw that card from. And it has sort of a secondary effect. Like, oh, now the, the venom has set in and you, you know, whatever, you've got some kind of problem or whatever. And so there's, there's this really interesting 
thing where you see the card, you know it's coming, and there's this dread of like, oh, we're going to get that card later on in the game. I know it's coming. So it's just a, a sort of another really cool thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so so something happens to you, but you may only get a portion of the impact of it then. Right. And the rest is stored in a little deck that you have to flip from time to time. That's that's right, yep. Interesting. Yeah. What else did you play while you were there? Anything else good? Oh, let's see. So I got to play Blitzkrieg, which I think is absolutely brilliant. Do you know this this Palo More came out last year from PSC. It's a little tiny, uh, super abstract World War II game. Yes. It takes like 20 minutes. Played it, played I think, it several times. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, my gosh. I think it's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. Um, I think Blitzkrieg, just a quick, quick tangent, Blitzkrieg, Watergate, and Irish Rails were probably my favorite, like, sort of, well, just my favorite games probably of last year. I mean, I loved them so much. There's so much packed into such a little package. Um, so I got to play some Blitzkrieg, which is great. I played Terraforming Mars for the first time. Mm, really? That was that was good. Yeah, yeah. I, and uh, yeah, I I didn't know what to expect. That's it's a little bit longer than I like. I like games to kind of tap out at like 90 minutes probably. Um, but yeah, it was I enjoyed it. And I got early on to the table, which is pro. It's probably my favorite Euro. You know, terraforming Mars really moves when the players are experienced. Yeah, you know, I felt bad um, because, of course, it was like it was my buddy who has played it a lot, a guy who we had never met who walked up and asked if he could play, and he was like terraforming Mars Pro Tour or something. I mean, he was he knew what he was doing, <laughs> <laughs> and then me. But uh, but here's the funny thing: I won now, and 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 I'm not a great gamer. I would consider myself an absolutely average gamer. So. When I play new games like that, I I will listen to the teach and I will pick one element of the game to myopically focus on So because I understand that one thing. And so I just played the board, right? Like I played all the spatial comboing stuff. Right. Yeah, I uh, I tend to play that game and, and just go after victory points uh, wherever mm-hmm. I can buy them. Right. Including the cards, of course. Yeah. And, uh, end up doing really well every time I play. That's yeah, that's it was yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean, I certainly had no clue really what they were doing. And they 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 did, right? Like they were doing all sorts of comboing things with cars and I think I just I think I I grokked what I was trying to do and I think I got lucky. Honestly. Yeah. You probably ended up with a good corporation too. Yeah. I I had the that was now the one thing that was different and I don't really understand all of this. I had just the starter corporation, right? Whatever the generic starter thing is. And they had custom ones that had like special things going on. So they started with less money, but like a special power or something. Right. So it sounds like they tried to jack you up pretty much. I I think, I I, I mean, to me, I got to keep (laughs) a lot of cards, right? And so I I don't know. Who knows, right? I don't know what to expand it in that. But but yeah, I think they, they were trying to take it easy on me. Right, like here's something simple. You can't possibly screw this up too much. Right, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's a hot game. It's a good one to to have your arms around now. Um, yeah, I felt like I kind of had to play it. Right, like yeah, there's man. a lot of stuff there that people like. I don't. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I've done a, an effective analysis, but I need to because you know that that game has been wildly popular. Yeah, and a, and a part yeah. of it is that is the fact that you've got a map. 
that that yeah that matters. Yeah, uh, true. In addition to all the little th- funny things you do to ch- change cubes from this to that, but um, yeah. Oh, you know what? The other the last thing I played. And this is this game is brilliant. Is Fox in the Forest duet? So, have you ever played Fox in the Forest? I have not. It's a, a two player trick taking game. It's a co- that's competitive. But they've come out with Duet, which is same thing, two-player trick-taking, but it's uh, cooperative. Man, it's good. I don't know if you like trick-taking games, but it's it's tense and just super fun. I do. I like uh, I like I like basic, uh, you know, French card basic yep. trick-taking games. So so absolutely. Yep. yep. So yeah, that's the last. That was basically the last two raw before you know. Uh, I've gone into like everybody else, right? Uh, so now it's just playing games with the kids, right? Yeah, it's we've we've played a ton. Uh, two things I'll point out, just in case anybody's got little kids and they want amazing game experiences with them. So we we play some Dungeons and Dragons. My kids are ten, nine, and six. So we, yeah, we play some like fifth edition D and D super rules light. So they understand their characters, and I basically kind of walk them through the rules so they love D &D, um but sometimes i need to like pull something off the shelf and play it without having to think about it if you know what i mean or prep it um so uh so crusoe kids or crusoe crew crusoe crew which i don't know if you've seen it it's it's this graphic set of graphic novels put out by dan uh, uh van Ryder games which is like it's a set of four graphic novels, all telling the same story, but each from a slightly different perspective, so that each player has their own graphic novel. And you read it, and it's like a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really – that's cool. And then um, there's a new set of games from Cosmos that is called Adventure Games, I think is what it's called. I think it literally it's called Adventure Games, and it's each one's subtitled. The one we're playing is called The Dungeon, which is really, really good. So it's like a kind of like a com- combo of time stories meets a choose your own adventure. Hmm. Interesting. And that's brilliant. Yeah, we're, we'll, we literally have that set up now in the living room in the floor, and we're just playing, you know, maybe 30 minutes each day. Yep. So we, we go from, from that long list of pretty much Euros, except for one, right? Yep. To, to your design universe, yeah, yeah, which which is which uh, I you know I know I know that there are people that debate it, but I would call it a war a wargaming portfolio that you you've produced, right? Yeah, and and it just happens that everything we've talked about is sort of like you know my my normal game day would have been today, and I would have met up with my buddies who I do most of my wargaming with, right? So my wargaming is kind of suffering. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so the last one of those that you were was it a week ago or two weeks ago or something? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. And yep. what did you guys play when you sat down? Uh, actually, I guess it was a month ago because a couple of weeks ago I was at that convention. Let me think. So what we've been playing lately? Uh, oh man, what have we been playing? Well, we probably played Space Core, which is not a war game, but I think there's a lot of crossover between people playing. It's John war Butterfield, playing, so we'll call it right. That. Exactly, exactly, right. Um, probably, let's see, like a few acres of snow, hands in the sea, uh, wilderness war, tons of battle line, the new medieval. 
Battle Line. Um, Watergate has been on the table a lot. I mentioned it. Sure. Um, do you guys meet at a game store or something, or do you meet at someone's house? We meet at what I still, when I stop to think about it, blows me away. We meet at a board game bar that is amazing, right? So Dayton, Ohio. When I moved here a year and a half ago, if you said, hey, you're going to move to Dayton, Ohio, and there's going to be this amazing bar that has a fantastic beer selection, you know, 20 awesome microbrew, local microbrews on tap, and it's super spacious and quiet and great for board gaming, I'd say you're crazy. But man, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Um, so yeah, we meet at a board game bar. Usually every once in a while we meet at our house and, uh, it's, it's mind boggling that I can go there. And if I go there on a Friday or Saturday night, it's packed with, you know, like 20, 30 something young professionals. This is weird that that's, that's because if you had said 10 years ago, there's a, there's going to be a place like that. I was like, that's just not. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's cool. And they're there. I mean, they mix, of course, but they're there to play board games. Yeah, it's it's funny, right? So this is what the funniest thing about when I get off. So I usually get off work early on Fridays to meet my buddy there. One of my buddies, we play two player war game stuff. And um, and then our third buddy will, will show up and then we'll mix it up. But he and I meet and we are playing war game stuff. And these this group of older ladies meet and they are doing their Mahjong club meet up right and so it's just the two of us usually because we get there right as our opening so it's like these eight old ladies and us two they're playing mahjong and we're playing war games but but by the time you know like eight or nine o'clock on a friday night rolls around you've got uh couples on what are clearly like first dates right <laughs> you've got magic you've got D, you've got board games you've got parents bringing their kids in playing you know kids games so it's just this unbelievable sort of combination of demographic. That's interesting. How do they make money? Do they charge? Uh, do they charge per head to come in? They don't. They don't charge anything. The only rule is you. So you bring your own food in, right? So the only thing is you can't bring in a beverage, which is, I mean, clearly that makes sense. So, I think on average I probably spend if I get there at two and I leave at ten. I probably leave with a tab that's like $25 and I'll always tip really well. Right. Cause, but I mean, that's that for me, that's great. Right. I'm, I'm going to have drank a few beers that otherwise I wouldn't have tried probably mm-hmm. and, uh, a fantastic location to play some games. So, yeah, that's great. Well, that's, yeah. you, you, you're fortunate. As you, as you said, you are fortunate. The, uh, we've tried that here in San Diego. We have a tough time getting people to buy, buy anything from the vendor which you know i I just feel guilty going to a place and sitting around and i'm the only beer drinker in the room yeah that's horrible yeah yeah and i don't even drink beer i mean i i buy it to buy it right it's yeah that's uh that's funny yep all right so so uh let's talk about the design portfolio then the kickstarter just rolled off that was wonderfully successful huh yeah, that was that went well. You know, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, it, I mean, so wargaming is niche, right? Like it's a niche within a niche. And so let's get let's get even more niche and let's do Italian human torpedo operators because that's <laughs> that's super popular. Uh, I felt so bad. You know, here's here's the thing that like the the funniest thing about this. Let me tell you a little story. This is cool. So, two thousand 
14, I moved to England, right? I moved there to, for my job. And I'm in a, I'm not far outside of Cambridge. I'm in a little village called Camborne, right? And so I'm in this village of Camborne and there's, you know, a couple thousand people there. And we lived in our house for about a year and the owners of our house were moving back. They lived in Singapore. They wanted to move back. So we had to move and we were panicking because, uh, the kids loved their village. They loved their school. They were in British school, blah, blah, blah. So we had to stay in that village. That was the number one thing. So we found a different house in the village. We moved and a, I had designed Pavlov's house. So maybe I'm going to tell this story, right? So I designed Pavlov's house and it was on Kickstarter. And so my wife gets a package at the door from the postman and it's for our next door neighbor. And so she walks the package over and she knocks on the door and she knew them. We, you know, we kind of knew them. We didn't really know them. She knocks on the door and the guy next door answers and he's an older guy, probably like, I don't know, 60 maybe. Right. And he answers the door and he, he's like somehow in the conversation, he goes, Oh yeah, I'm on Kickstarter. I'm looking at this game Pavlov's house. So, I mean, you've got to think about this now. The Pavlov's house at this point has, it's doing, it's done really well, but at the time it's on Kickstarter. I think it had like eight, eight, 800 backers. So there's literally 800 people in the world, and one of those 800 people was my next door neighbor. Next door neighbor in in England. In England, right? Yeah. So, okay. So that was a really, really long way. So now let's bring this back. Okay. So my next door neighbor. Now he and I, man, he he's a war gamer, right? So like he and we played Normandy 44 at his house. He has every every mini there is, you know. So he's he's an awesome dude. So his name is Andrew. He's a fantastic guy. So. Um, on the like on our I think the solitaire war game or Facebook page or something um, either myself or one of the DVG people were mentioning uh, uh, by stealth and sea and Andrews like uh, sure wish it was about the British I'm gonna be pulling for the Royal Navy it's so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm like yeah I guess you know I am talking about a game in which the Royal Navy gets its ships destroyed so this probably is making me a whole lot of friends for my you know, my British friends are, <laughs> I'm losing all my old friendships here. But, uh, but I mean, that's really like all joking aside, like that was, we're a little bit worried about that, right? Like, you know, the number one place in the world for selling games is the U U S and the pro for war games. And it's gotta be number two. It's gotta be UK for the most part, I would think. Right. Yeah. So you're, you know, if, if I had made the game about British chariot operators instead of Italian, I'm sure it would have been, been more popular, but <laughs> <laughs> that's oh good. well that's good so yeah that was the that's been the the current project right so that's what i've been doing every day when i wake up i work on you know by stealth and see that's been the, the latest thing that's uh that's great i can't wait to to play it i've i've seen your videos i've seen uh players aid guys had it right yeah yeah i send copies to um the players aid nate rogers right gimpy gamer mm-hmm and then do you know Liz Davidson? I do know Liz. I'm I'm talking to her as part of this series. Yeah. Shortly, yes. She's one of my favorite people. And if so she she's getting more and more into war games. So if there are listeners to your podcast, right? I assume that 
most people who listen to your podcast are like me and we all consume all the war game content we can find. Right. So I assume you're assuming they're listeners. We're not even sure that, but (laughs) theoretically, yes. So I assume that they listen to a lot of the same content I do. And so if, if somebody's listening to your podcast and they haven't discovered Liz yet, you need to check her out because she's, she's, I think just one of the most amazing people right now in, in gaming. She's super brilliant and she's got a lot of interest. And if you're like solitaire games at all, then you need to check her out. Yeah. So a couple of things. So her, uh, her persona on Twitter and I would assume other places like YouTube might be, or might be, uh, the beyond solitaire, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, that's, that's her label. And, um, mm-hmm. she also, uh, is somehow affiliated with the Dice Tower. I don't understand the, the affiliation network there, but she's affiliated with them. She is, um, I believe uh, she's a history teacher. She has a PhD in history, maybe both. She teaches, let me get this right. Okay. So she teaches at a girls' Catholic school? Catholic school, girls' Catholic she school. She teaches Latin, doesn't she? She teaches Latin. Yes. She also teaches, man, I'm going to get this wrong, I think, New Testament, maybe, right? Definitely teaches. That's right. She told me she was a New Testament scholar. Yeah. I, 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 for, I mean, so I'm conflating, I may be conflating her, her educational background with what she teaches, but I think she teaches New Testament too. Um, definitely teaches Latin for sure. Uh, she's in Atlanta. So that's one thing that we share. I'm from Savannah, Georgia originally. So you know, when when I think about her being Atlanta, that's where my sister is. I'm a huge Falcons and Braves guy and all that. So SEC and all that junk, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. Um, no, she's um, in, um, let me think, it was this February, it seems, the Dice Tower uh, with Tom Vassell did a list of the top, their top 10 favorite historical games. Yeah. And she mm-hmm. was on there, and she clearly loves the Ancients, Oh yeah, yeah. She's coined, so she's a serious war gamer, and it's great. Uh, I, you know, I'm I'm excited about talking to her on Sunday. Yep. No, you should be. She's great. And if I remember right, that episode, it was like the other games were not even historic games for the most part, right? Like they were these, you know. Euro with a pasted on historical theme or something. You know, Tom Vassell did a couple, right? He did 1960 and a couple of others that were. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And he may fair. have even did he may have even done Twilight Struggle, but you know there was another one. His one of his henchmen was, was on there. I don't really know these guys, and yeah, and and uh, you know they 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 haven't been the most positive toward war games, but uh, the the other guy was just sort of clowning around, which I, you know it's for right. entertainment. I guess that's what they do. Yeah, but uh, but she was. I mean, her top ten list were serious historical games, and you know included. Uh, Falling Sky and, and and other real serious war games. Oh yeah, no, she's yeah, she's great. Yep, agreed. Yep. So yeah. how did we we started talking about her and I distracted you? Where? Oh, you said, how you did sent we her a copy? The, what's that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So she's the other person I sent a copy to. So it was it was Nate Rogers, her and um and the players' aid guys, Grant and Alexander. So yeah, because those are just I mean like those are people whose opinion I. Yeah, I appreciate and who do a fantastic job previewing games and stuff. So they all previewed it for me, which was, you know, super appreciated, obviously. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Very beneficial. Yeah. So Undaunted Normandy has a 
brother that's coming out. Yeah, so Undaunted North Africa is I'm I'm really looking forward to that. So um Undaunted Normandy, I, I'm sure you and I have talked about it, like the sort of background, how I how it came to be. Yeah, we, why don't you, we why don't you talk discussion? about it? I think it's a very interesting story and in, in the linkage to your family. Yeah, so um so Undaunted Normandy, you know, right as I was starting to get into game design, I moved to England. Uh I was thinking about, you know, I just played a few acres of snow and only a couple of years earlier had gotten into games. So I was like, hey, I like this deck building thing. I like the idea of integrating a spatial element. What can I do? How would that work? And then right at the same time, I started visiting Normandy. <clears throat> Specifically, I was at Omaha Beach. I was going there to, to kind of retrace my grandfather's steps. And so that was the genesis of, of Undaunted Normandy, right? So it's it's combining deck building with the spatial element, and then it's about the, my grandfather's unit, right? The 30th Infantry Division. It traces through all of their battles up until Mortain. So uh, so that's how that came about. Now, Osprey, I was working with Duncan Malloy, who is the guy who started the board game division at Osprey. So he's the guy that signed it, um, and eventually as we were transitioning from planning Normandy into North Africa, uh, it, it got turned over to a different developer. But, but Duncan is a guy who, when I think of me going into board games and like pitching him, uh, what became undaunted in 2014, he was just standing that, that company up. So I kind of link our entrances into the gaming. Um, and he's actually the guy who's behind Rebellion Unplugged, which is the company that does Sniper Elite, who I'm working with now. So that's, you know, it's kind of good to know people, right? But, um, but okay, so that was a long way of saying that right before, or not long before Undaunted Normandy actually was published, they went ahead and commissioned North Africa. So I guess they thought it would do well enough to at least have a sequel. Um, but I didn't have that same, like, personal, like, sort of familiar familial tie to it, right? And they kind of pushed for something to do with British. They, they didn't really say what, but they wanted to have a British element to it. And so that's how I just, how I landed with, with North Africa. I thought that would be a cool setting for a game. Um, it'd be different, right? So rather than just doing British, you know, whatever, in Europe or whatever. Um, so it's actually specifically the long-range desert group and on the on the commonwealth side and uh italians specifically right so there's no germans in it it's all uh the lrdg and italians that, that makes up all the scenarios so how does how does the gameplay change for north africa versus normandy yeah so i'll have to be a little bit careful because i haven't revealed everything so i mean so i can't get the super specifics but from what people you can see it, it introduces vehicles, right? So there's no vehicles in Normandy. It was all plat infantry platoon is what it was revolved around. So you're, you basically take the role of a, of a platoon commander in Undaunted Normandy. So one thing we change, and this is getting a little bit, um, like, I don't know how to describe it. So in Undaunted Normandy, every counter on the board essentially is like, like it's a group of guys, right? So you'll have a counter that represents the rifleman in a squad. You'll have a counter that represents the scouts in a squad. You'll have a rifleman or a counter that represents the machine gun team in a squad. And so it's not a one-to-one -one correlation of counter to guy. Mm -hmm. But 
there is a one-to-one almost correlation of cards to a guy. So if you have a counter that's the rifleman in the squad, you'll have one counter, but you'll have five cards. That scale changes in, in uh, North Africa. So it's every counter is a guy, and every guy has four cards that represents sort of his efficacy, if you will. So we changed the scale a little bit. Uh, we introduced vehicles so that guys can interact with the vehicles. Um, what was another? That sounds another. pretty slick. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, and then and then it's it's asymmetric, right? So in Undaunted Normandy, the the Germans and the Americans, um, and I've gotten some some flag for this, are completely symmetric in their decks. Now, when you play the game. Uh, your starting deck may be different, right? And what's available to you to deck build may be different. And the scenario is certainly different. So there's tons of asymmetry in the game, but the actual totality of the deck is symmetric. And that's completely different in North Africa. So you have the long-range desert group where every dude is kind of like a commando guy, right? So every dude's unique. And then um, on the Italian side, it's it's more conventional, right? So it kind of reflects some of the uh, concepts were in Nor- Normandy, but then there's some really, really cool, unique things that they get that the LRDG, LRDG doesn't get. That's great. No, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I'm interested to see how the new scale applies. Yeah, but yeah. I love the idea of being able to jump into a vehicle and machine gun stuff. Oh yeah, I, I mean, uh, I like playing Normandy. I do. I enjoy it, but I love like I, North Africa's cool. I think people one's good. Well, this is probably a good place to to let you go. I, I appreciate you spending the time with me, David. I looking forward to playing some of your games. I need to uh, to get them on the table. You know, love what you've done so far, and and keep up the good work. And and you you have a partner on many of these games, right? Yeah, um, it, it depends. Right. Yes. So the answer is yes. Usually, when I'm doing war game stuff i don't usually i do that myself right uh when i'm doing not war game stuff uh my main partner his name is trevor benjamin i met him when i was in canada uh i mean in canada. i was in the uk but he's canadian right so we had this weird uh design group in cambridge where it was a design meetup group we would all meet in cambridge and it was a, the core group was probably about 10 of us but I don't. I think there was only one or two people from the UK. So we were from Australia, UK, Canada, US, Spain, all over the place. So it was this amazing group of uh, of people to you know meet and talk designs and play test. But anyway, uh, Trevor was part of that group. So he and I have worked on War Chest and Undaunted, and um, we've had another game coming out probably next year that hasn't been announced yet. And then. Um, the other guy I work with, Chris Marling, uh, I did Armageddon with him and Europe Divided with him. So a couple of different guys. So when I'm not doing like my more hardcore, I guess, whatever you want to call, you know, what solitaire war game, traditional war game stuff, um, I'll usually work with somebody else. But when it's just me, if I'm working on my Stealth and Sea or the, the stuff I have that I'm working on now, soldiers and postmen's uniforms or whatever, um, that, that's all I'll do by myself. I won't subject anybody to the year-long research before you actually start the design process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part about collaborating with wargamer for wargamers, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Well, look, 
Let me first, as I said, thank you for, for participating. And second, uh, wish you and your family uh, uh, good health and good times through this chaos. And uh, hope we can talk again. Yep, you too, absolutely. Thanks, David. Yep. Bye. Bye.